Kathimo Sasana on SAFM. Turning our attention now to our conversation this hour, we're continuing uh, what I said was our series on Chapter 9 Institution. It is a bit fragmented because we haven't been able uh, to have it uh, consistently every single... I think when we started, we said we were going to try every three weeks. We'll focus on one of the Chapter 9 institutions. But unfortunately, you know, there's been so much else happening that that derailed our plan. But we're going to continue nonetheless. And today we're taking a look at at the public protector. And I know that this is an institution often that is in the news for all sorts of reasons. Uh, Recently, we can point to Palapala and the investigations around Palapala and lots being said about how that institution is investigating this matter, um, calls by politicians, um, you know, for for transcripts of interviews to be released, etc. And then you'll have the office come out and say, we can't do this because it's not part of our man- mandate. We can't do that because it's not part of our mandate. So to help us understand the role of the public protector. We're joined in studio today by Niels van der Merwe. He's the head of legal services at the public protector. Niels, good morning to you. Thank you so much for your time today. Yes, good morning, uh, Kathy. Good morning to your listeners. What a pleasure to be here. And, and of course, Niels, I must warn you, later on, we're going to be taking calls from our listeners. And they, of course, will have all sorts of questions for you. They are very ungovernable. So I need you to prepare and brace yourself for what that might be on the other side, of course, of the 1030 News headlines. Also part of this conversation is Lawson Naidu, who is a founding member of CASAC. Lawson, good morning. Good morning, Cathy, and uh, good morning to Niels and to the listeners. And thank you as well, uh, Lawson, for making time for this conversation. Niels, let me begin with you and give you an opportunity to explain to us what is the mandate of the public protector? What does that office, what what was it created for? Uh, thank you again, Kathy. Yes, the, the office is part of the, the Chapter 9 family. Um, created in terms of Section 181 of the Constitution. And um, first, on a high level, the the office has a mandate to um, strengthen what we call constitutional democracy with its fellow (laughs) Chapter 9 institutions. Then on the, uh, in terms of the Constitution, primarily Section 182, it has both a proactive and a reactive mandate. The reactive mandate is to deal with what we call complaints or allegations of improper conduct on in state affairs. And um, that actually is one of the widest remits of ombudsman offices across the world because it, it encompasses about a thousand organs of state in South Africa. Uh, it's on national level, on provincial level, on municipal level, um, corporate uh, institutions, um, universities, uh, and so on. And then we have the Public Protector Act. There's actually 13 additional pieces of legislation that um, governs the mandate of the Public Protector. Uh, In terms of the Public Protector Act, it deals with maladministration, undue delay on the parts of these thousand organs of state, 
uh, abuse of power and due enrichment. Then we have separate legislation like, like the Executive Members Ethics Act, which uh, deals with the conduct of members of the executive. Mm-hmm. We also have legislation such as PAJA, PAYA, um, uh, access to information. We, we are also actually the environmental ombudsman in the sense that we can deal with protected disclosures, both in terms of the Protected Disclosures Act as well as the Environmental Ombuds, uh, uh, the Environmental Protection Act, and uh, a lot of other legislation. Our uh, The first public protector described our role uh, essentially as that of a referee between the citizens and the state um, to level the playing fields and to make sure that... Um, the, we can hold the, the state accountable to the constitutional problems. Mm. Thanks, thanks for that, Niels. Do you find often, given just how broad um, the mandate of the institution is and how much powers you have been given to investigate all of these different issues, that you are seen as being part of the hawks, you're seen as being an extension of the NPA in that when people talk about investigative bodies, they'll talk about the hawks, the NPA and the public protection. I'm talking, I'm saying this now just in in, in the view of, of an ordinary citizen. Yes, I think it's improved a bit uh, um, since because I've been there since almost the inception. Mm. And at that uh, time, the, the word protection included everything that, that people felt like in, in protection, uh, like, um, that includes the mandate of other institutions, like you are, are saying now. But uh, it has... Um, the information has spread and there's a better understanding of the work of the public protector. But still, if you look at our statistics, then we still have to refer um, uh, quite a significant amount of, of cases to other institutions mm. that are wrongly um, referred to the public protector uh, because of either the profile or the attention or especially in the over the last few years when the public protector became more to the front and and was seen as more effective people preferred to come to us even though there were other options mm. available to them so so Niels, what don't you look at what are the limitations of, of the public protector's office first in terms of the constitution we are not allowed to investigate court cases um, court judgments. So we are not an appeal body for anybody that's dissatisfied with the outcome of a court case. Then obviously because we are um, mandated to oversee the conduct in state affairs, it has to be linked to the state. So we don't investigate private institutions like banks and private individuals. Um, then we also have limitations in terms of the time frame if we are asked to investigate a matter that's older than two years, we have to find special circumstances before we can investigate. So it's basically everything that has to do with the state. Um, 
And then in, in terms of our mandate the, or against any of the institutions that fall within the oversight of the public protector. All right, that's Niels uh, van der Merwe. He's the head of legal services at the Public Protector, giving us an outline of what the office does. In the mo- in a moment, we'll uh, get uh, Lawson Naidu to weigh in. In terms of the effectiveness, the efficiency of the Public Protector, before we get to some of the more detailed questions uh, around the work that it does. It's uh, 20 after 10 o'clock. Best Daytime Radio Show at the SA Radio Awards. The Talking Point with Kathy Mutlatlana. Well, we've heard then from Lawson Niels, who is the head of legal services at the Public Protector. We're looking at uh, the of, the office uh, of the Public Protector as an institution and what exactly it does uh, as a Chapter 9 institution. Uh, Lawson Naidu is also part of this conversation. Lawson, just before I get to, uh, I get to you, Niels, I just wanted you to clarify. Um, your limitations, you said... Cases that are older than two years, you need special permission um, to to look at at those cases. Explain that to to me. Uh, what what does it mean? Actually, actually, it's special circumstances. Special circumstances. Yes. Okay. So, what it does is. Um, they are in terms of our rules as, as well as in terms of the act. Um, it affords the public protector the discretion to decide on those special circumstances. It has to be recorded and communicated. That means that we um, cannot investigate, for instance, matters that are pre-1995 or if someone comes to us and a matter is 10 years old. We have to accept the fact that some of the persons involved in the organs of state might not be there, there might not be enough uh, uh, information available to investigate. So these are factors that a public protector has to look into and then determine is there um, enough uh, viability in this investigation to in, first of all be able to investigate it and then to offer a meaningful remedy um, to the, the complainant. So that's what the, um, the act provides and, and it's an a factor that's there with all ombudsman institutions uh, across the world to have a limitation. Some have a year, some have two years. What happens when a matter has been before the public protector for two years and has not been dealt with? Does that create complications around whether or not it can still be investigated? No, the decision is is exercised at the point when we receive the complaint. Okay. So it's assessed. We have a process where the case is registered. Then it's assessed by an assessment team. And part of the issues that the assessment team looks at is jurisdiction, whether it's an institution that falls within the remit of the public protector, whether the subject matter is something we can investigate, and then the time frame. So once that decision is taken, then we establish jurisdiction and competency to Mm -hmm. continue with the investigation. Even if it takes four years or or whatever thereafter, it's not affected by the time limitation. Lawson, let me bring you in here. Of course, there's a lot that um, is said about the Office of the Public Protector. 
But when it comes to efficiency and accessibility, where would you say the organization is? And, and, and I ask this being mindful of the fact that, of course, you being a founding member of CASIG, um are in a much better position, let's say, than an ordinary South African uh, when you raise whatever issues you may want to raise uh, with the institution. Hello, Lawson. All right. It, it, it looks like we've lost uh, Lawson Naidu on the line there. We are working to try and get, get him back up. But I'll ask you the same question, Niels. There is this view that when ordinary South Africans bring matters before the, pub, before the public protector, they are not given attention and that it's often the high-profile cases that end up being expedited. Thank you. Yes, I can understand why it, it is the case because the media attention is always directed at the high-profile cases. But if you look at our statistics, um, we have uh, three broad divisions in terms of how we deal with matters. We have what we call early resolution cases that's intended to deal with in a period of six to 12 months, and that constitutes about 20% of our workload. Then we have service delivery failures, which is about 60%. And then, and then we have what we call conduct failure or integrity failure, which is about 20%. And those are, the high-profile matters relate to that 20%. Mm-hmm. And we've got service standards that uh, dictates uh, how each case, I- irrespective of what the profile is of the complainant or um, who the complainant or what the matter is about, that determines the the way in which uh, uh, the complaint has to be dealt with. And those service standards apply equal to all cases. There's no preference given to a specific case at the expense of another case. Obviously, certain cases we deal with in a prioritized matter because of the timeframes that set in, for instance, the Executive Members Ethics Act. We have to report within 30 days. But generally, there's um, not a, a situation in the office where we nitpick and, and say these are the only cases that will receive attention. Mm, mm, mm. All right. Lawson, I understand that we've got you back in the li- on the line. Can you hear me loud and clear? Yes, Kathy, thank you. Oh, so, sorry about that. So w- the question I was putting to you is around efficiency and accessibility of, of the public protector as a Chapter 9 institution. And just saying that you, as CASEC, of course, um, are in a much better position, in an advantage position when you approach the institution because you do have additional support as a civil society organization, which may be a bit more than just the ordinary individual going to the public to, to the office of the public protector and wanting to raise a concern about a particular issue. What would you say your view around the issue of efficiency and accessibility has been? Well, you know, Kathy, I think this goes back to uh, the purpose uh, of these chapter nine institutions and why they were, were set up. I think we, you know, we need to go back there. And I think Niels has already explained some of it. Uh, you know, this is a family of chapter nine institutions that we 
created very de deliberately in South Africa in order to enhance accountability and ensure that the rights-based constitution that we have in place is, uh, is actually able to uh, respect and promote those rights. So these institutions are part of the checks and balances that are built into our constitutional system uh, to ensure that we have efficient, cost-effective, transparent, and accountable governance. And in, in, in executing that mandate, it's really about uh, the issue of access to justice, recognizing that uh, seeking redress through the courts is uh, very expensive. It's only limited to very few people that can get that access. It's, uh, it's uh, lengthy processes. So the uh, Office of the Public Protector is there to try and speedily resolve these uh, disputes that arise between public officials and ordinary citizens without having to go through the courts and to resolve them speedily, quickly and cost effectively. And I think at that level, the Office of the Public Protector over the years has done a very, very good job in dealing uh, with what uh, former public protector Tuli Madansala referred to as the Gogod Lamini cases, the issues about pension payouts around, you know, um, IDs and birth certificates and the like. And that, that's an area, uh, a level at which uh, the public protector uh, uh, has operated very effectively. And I think I'm sure Niels can provide more uh, context to all of that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think we must look at it from that perspective rather than just because, because we tend to focus on the sort of high profile cases that the Office of the Public Protector deals with. All right. Uh, Lawson, I'll give you a chance just to complete that thought properly in a moment. Uh, for now, it's 10.30. It's time for us to go uh, to the latest news headline. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. So we continue our focus on the public protector as a Chapter 9 institution. Uh, this is as part of our series on uh, Chapter 9 institutions in the country. Niels van der Merwe rather, is Head of Legal Services at the Public Protector, Lawson Naidu, founding member of CASIC. So Lawson, just before we went to headlines, you were talking about um, the fact that the efficiency of the Public Protector's office um, has been great around dealing with uh, you know, the cases that are brought by ordinary uh, citizens that are not necessarily high profile. Indeed, and I think, you know, in, in many respects, Cathy, that is the primary purpose of this of the office, uh, is to deal with those issues, is to t take those issues out of the hands of the courts and provide a, a speedy resolution of, of those disputes, uh, especially when it, when it comes to vulnerable people uh, within society who would otherwise not be able to seek redress for any wrongful actions or conduct on the on behalf of uh, public officials or public entities. So I think that, you know, that that's a critical part of this. And, you know, Niels referred to earlier, and I think you did as well, Cathy, sort of the, the, the overlapping mandates when it comes to high profile or corruption cases uh, as a whole where we have institutions such as the Hawks and the uh, investigating directorate within the NPA, as well as the SAPs to deal with, deal with those issues. So I think, you know, that, that's the area where perhaps a bit more clarity in terms of the delineation of responsibility needs to be uh, exercised. What we have seen as well, Lawson, is an increasing politicization of the office of the public protector. 
Do you think that that is avoidable? Niels talks about, you know, an office that more and more has been part of the national conversation, has almost come to the fore in in the work that it's doing as a result of these high-profile cases that it's had to take on. Yes, I mean, I think one of the criticisms of the Office of the Public Protector in recent times is that that, uh, the office has become... Uh, politically weaponized and it's being used for ulterior uh, political motives rather than uh, to get through get to the root of uh, issues of maladministration uh, you know improper expenditure corruption etc and you know perhaps it's it might be more appropriate for some of those especially some of the more complex cases uh, to be dealt with by other anti-corruption agencies such as uh, the hawks or the id uh, because I think, you know, there, there's, there's an issue of the capacity, both in terms of uh, personnel as well as uh, financial resources of the Office of the Public Protector to to focus on those cases. Because the more it does that, the, the less resources it has to deal with the other sort of run-of-the-mill cases, which is where the priority ought to be, in my view. Niels, is that something that you're aware of at the Public Protector's Office, that there will be individuals that come and and um, open cases motivated by the politics of the day. And I say this not necessarily um, wanting you to lean to a particular side, whether it's the uh, factions that exist in the governing party, whether it's political parties, because I think that those interests are there in various groups. They're not limited to the conflicts that are taking place within the governing party alone. Um, Are you aware of that? And if you are, does it play any role when you are choosing whether or not to take a matter on? Yes, definitely. Um, uh, From where I'm sitting, obviously the strategic direction of the office is, is determined at an executive level of uh, the public protector and, um, level and, and deputy public protector as head of the institution. But in, in the course of our normal assessments, we look at uh, the, the basics. Is the institution within remit? Is the subject matter within remit of the public protector? Where the discretion of the public protector is exercised in favour of a matter where which has potential political implications, um, the problem lies more with the way in which the uh, uh, our mandate is so wide. Um, certain types of complaints have the potential to elicit a political environment or, or circumstance, both from where the source of the complainant, if it's a, from a political party or if it's about the subject matter. But like Lawson is saying, that constitutes so little um, in terms of percentage of our of our mandate. Uh, during the f- Advocate Madoncela's time, we... Um, estimated that reports of these kind of high-profile matters constitutes less than 1% of our total caseload. Unfortunately, the, it's both the uh, media attention that's drawn to these kind of cases as, as well as the demands that are on the public protector that creates the, the problem. It's how we manage mm-hmm. these cases that creates the problem because in terms of the outcome, we can't choose 
Um, the courts have made it clear once something is within the jurisdiction of the public protector, we have to have a very good reason for not um, dealing with it and, and for not complying with our mandate. And uh, discretion as to exclude matters when they are jurisdictional is very limited. Um, but we we do have strategies in place, which I can elaborate on in mm. a moment, where we try and and improve um, in the areas that affects the ordinary citizens. Do, do you find that you're spending more money on the high-profile cases, more capacity on the high-profile cases than you are on what constitutes the majority of your caseload? It's difficult to quantify it, but I think, yes, on, on a number of areas, because first of all, the, the cases are more complex, so it's more time-consuming, and um, we do have dedicated resources that deal with either service delivery or conduct failures. But I think it's the consequences after the release of the report that currently has a big impact mm -hmm. to the extent that um, those cases are more susceptible to judicial review where we have to incur legal costs. It's more difficult to Im enforce the remedial action. It takes us longer there. So, yes, on, the short answer is is definitely... But again, as I said, we try and manage the resources in such a manner that what is within our control, we try and distribute evenly. Mm -hmm. We'll continue the conversation in a moment. Of course, you're more than welcome to dial in. I'll be taking your calls on 086-000-2032. Are there particular questions that you have about the public protector? Uh, Niels van der Merwe will take some of those questions. Uh, so will Lawson Naidu if you have a particular question for him. On the WhatsApp line, it's 0614-104-107. Lawson, do you think that it's going to be possible for us as a country to move beyond the point where we look and perhaps even judge the public protector protector's office without necessarily looking at who the person in charge of that office is? So looking at who the public protector is because of course we're having what are different experiences um and and if we check you know the history of the public protector i think each individual seems to have brought their own personality into that office but more and more um we're seeing the attention on the heads of those institutions rather than just more broadly at, at the work that that institution does. Do you think we're going to be able to move beyond that, Lawson? Uh, Cathy, that's a really important uh, uh, question and point uh, because there has been a focus, uh, uh, you know, a too large a focus on the incumbents in that office. Uh, you know, if you go back through the, the various people that have held the, held the position as public protector, uh, including the the, the current uh, public protector, and uh, you know it's it's you know I think it's come about because of the politicization uh, as we discussed of that office, which you know started to occur uh, during the tenure in particular of Tuli uh, Maronsella, uh, but it preceded that uh, when uh, Advocate Mishwana was there as well. Uh, you know, some highly politicized cases uh, were brought before that office, uh, and and. Uh, 
you know, to some extent, they, they went there uh, because there was little confidence in the law enforcement agencies, the Hawks, the uh, police, etc. And people were seeking uh, a more efficient and effective uh, remedy and they've therefore resorted to the Office of the Public Protector. I think as we start to rebuild and rehabilitate those law enforcement agencies and government is, uh, you know, says it is now committed to a more effective anti-corruption strategy, we will hopefully see less of these cases um, occupying the office of the public protector uh, and therefore uh, allowing that uh, office to play its proper role. Uh, but I think in that context, and, and, and specifically in the context of your question, we might also want to consider uh, whether it's not appropriate to have the uh, Office of the Public Protector as a commission or as a panel of people rather than one individual heading that institution, because then the focus goes on to that individual. And we see in the other Chapter 9 institutions, there are a team of people at the Electoral Commission, at the Human Rights Commission, the Gender Commission, etc. You know, um, and, and maybe that's something that we need to consider as we move forward. Is that something that will work, Niels? Um, it's a difficult question because I think we are coming from within the institution. We mm. are used to the, the current setup where there's one public protector. Mm. And, and there's always been a feeling that the public protector and the auditor general are... Um, both the institution and the incumbent. And I think that's where some of the problems lie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because you have to have a decision-making person, uh, which consensual decision-making like in a commission might not always work. But then again, in terms of how our structures operate, (coughs) we we are currently building, and, and it's not just building, but the organizational structure has always been a strong support in assisting the public protector mm. through its investigative staff, which is quite a lot. And, and also the, the structures like we have the, the quality assurance and the full bench structures, which are consultative structures within the organization that does it's trying to assist and, and make sure that we don't uh, have one person deciding on, on just the, the public protector still. We operate under the control and the direction of the public protector. Um, so that is still what, what's within the act. Whether that will operate in, in, a, const, in, in a commission fashion, uh, it's something that, that can be explored. Our experience makes it difficult to envisage such something a, else. Yeah, I think that's a very honest answer, Niels. That's that's an incredibly honest answer. Mustafa, you're calling us from East London. Good morning. Good morning, Kathy. Uh, good morning, Kathy. Good morning to your guests. Mm. Yeah, I Kathy. Without taking uh, taking loss of your time, I wanted to congratulate you on your achievement, getting the award that you just achieved. Thank you, Mustafa. Yeah, to get to the yeah, to get to the topic, to the current topic. Now, uh, my question is directly towards Mr. Fonamerve, as he's the head of the legal department and the protector. Mr. Fonamerve, I've laid a complaint last year with the, with the provincial office in, based in the Eastern Cape, where I'm based in uh, the provincial office. Now, my complaint uh, was regarding one of the institutions. I think it's regarding the Department of Sports and Arts and Culture. Because I had an issue that uh, from the, one of the libraries doesn't want to provide assistive device for me as a visual impairment person, which is called a Victor Rita, which enables me to use an audio book regarding that device. So 
I've lodged a complaint internally with the library. There was no success. I've lodged a complaint that the Department of, of Sports and Arts and Culture in my province, but, but there was still no success. Then I did lodge a complaint with the offices in the provincial office. It was still no success, no solution. Then I then uh, uh, sent, I was advised to make a review with your national office. I did. My review was rejected twice by Mr. Bapalo in the national office. So I even wrote to Ms. Kadeka, uh, to Ms. Subanyoni, one of your senator, senior colleagues. But they are not responding to my emails mm. either. So what can be done in this regard, Mr. 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 Von Amerwe? Um, thank you, yes. Well, you followed all the, the processes the, the public protector prefers because it's in office of last resort. So you've, you've done the correct things by going to the department first and then to lodge a complaint. Um, it's difficult for me to address the merits of, of uh, why your complaints might have been unsuccessful. The fact that there were two reviews and, and it was also considered... Um, tells me that there was some reason why the, the complaint was either not accepted or it was unsuccessful in terms of unsubstantiated. But to deal with the merits of a matter like this is, is difficult on air. You followed all the right processes. So um, the only thing we can do is, is to get your details from Cafe and, and we have a customer service um, a charter and and a dedicated person, then we can ensure that someone gets back to you in terms of um, whether it is a failure of our service standards or whether or not the matter has been exhausted because it's also important and I know it's painful sometimes but there is a cut-off phase or stage of an investigation um, but as I said, I am not able to say mm. whether mm. The, what's the merits w of the matter. Where there are cutoffs for whatever legitimate reasons the public protector has found, are those communicated clearly to the client? Yes, we have, as I said, the service okay. standards. Mm. Um, so what the service standards entail is that within a certain amount of time after the investigation has been concluded, then... It has to be reported, communicated by means of a closing report. We communicate, first of all, when we intend to close, it's a notice. We give the person an opportunity and say, we've investigated, we found that this is unsubstantiated, uh, but before we make a final decision, uh, do you have any information that might uh, show a different view? Um, then after we've that period has lapsed, we continue to finalize or close the matter. Right. And then the person also has one opportunity for an internal review. And, and the caller here has, has had two reviews. The review is not to reinvestigate the matter, but to see if our processes have been properly followed and if the uh, outcome of the case has been properly explained to mm -hmm. the person because communication is one of the key features of how we try and also educate it, whether it's positive or negative in, in terms of our mandate as well as the institutions concerned. Mm. Mustafa, would you say that that happened in your case? Yes, it happened. There, there was no proper explanation from, from, from Mr. Farmer, from his colleagues, uh, mm -hmm. from the provincial office uh, and the national office. But there was no explanations. They never told me that uh, my case does not meet their jurisdictions 
or maybe my, my case has expired or nothing. Just they, they just had, they they only say that they can they, they cannot assist. Yeah. Uh, my case is unsuccessful. They never motivated. Mm. They are they are statements. And I guess it would help if you, if you knew, because then you'd either call it a day and look for other avenues than to keep trying, because you just want good reasons. So, sorry, I was scared. I have their all the correspondence mm. that I've been sending them. I can even don't mind sending them, resending them to Mister Fanamerv if if he if he if he does allows me to do so. Yeah, Mustafa, we'll definitely give you a chance to do that. We'll take down your details and uh, we'll connect you with the, the office and, and Mr. van der Merwe's office to be uh, more specific. Vincent, you're calling okay, us in the, in the VAL. Good morning. Good morning, ma'am. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Vincent. And fine. I'm, I want to start by saying congratulations to your award. Yeah? Thank you. Thank you, Vincent. And kudos to your team as well. I think you are a very much, uh, 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 we are a woman of very much ability. And um, I want to speak to Vincent concerning uh, 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 his office, whereby he said that there are mandate revolves around Environmental Protection Act, uh, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. The thing is, ma'am, I've got, I've got a letter here which they, 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 they sent to me. I've got a case with them, whereby I've got a problem by my heart, and I've tried to go to all the institutions that I thought were supposed to help me, like my municipality, the road agents, and all that stuff. They have built a taxi rank on our, on, our, on our community, but the taxi rank is sitting dormant. It's not being used, and the taxis are continue uh, working on our, on our vicinity, on our gates. We can't get help. They're destroying our property. They're urinating on our gate. Now, when I, when I escalate this case to the, to the public protector for, for assistance, they're also sending me from pillar to post. So I, I don't know why I can't get help with this issue. Hello? Uh, I, uh, yes. Well, obviously, people who are dissatisfied with the outcome, either our re- reaction during the course of an investigation after the, the complaint has been lodged, um, is atypical of, of what our service standards require of, of our investigative um, team. And, and we do have managers and processes in, in place to try and, and pick up failures on our site, service delivery failures, because um, obviously the, the public protect has a commitment also in, in terms of the Vision 2023 to empower people um, in a case like this, where a person is obviously not happy, I suspect that there they might have been, because it's difficult again to speculate on what the exact reason is for um, not being able to assist in, in, in a very important in environmental issue. Um, and our remit has been clarified. So again, it would be difficult to speculate as to why um, the, what the reasons are, what, what would be unacceptable is if we are not complying with our service standards mm-hmm. of communicating at least, making sure because we, we are required to communicate regularly and to engage. Uh, after assessment and, and receipt of the complaint, our first task is to engage the complainant in, and make sure that we understand the issues, also to explain what the limitations are and to manage the expectations. Uh, obviously, there might be a number of cases where these things are not happening because of um, 
capacity issues or um, investigations because they not while they are under the control of the public protector. Mr. Father Mr. Father Yes. I'm still on the line. I don't know whether you're addressing me or you're addressing Siskete, but I'm saying that I've, I've escalated my case to you, and you don't you don't uh, uh, respond back to people who who send uh, uh, correspondence to you. Like the last time, I called your office in Pretoria, and they said that my case was referred to the branch in, in Johannesburg. I called the Johannesburg branch, and that lady told me that my case is in the archive without them telling me why is mm-hmm. my case being in the archive without uh, informing me that they couldn't proceed with the case because of one, two, three reasons. Mm-hmm. Again, there are systems in place that are supposed to prevent this from happening. We are required in terms of our service standards to send out a proper closing answer and a closing report on any matter. So there, there are some aspects of it that finds it, for me, difficult to understand if it was a failure on our side, where exactly the failure would be. Again, we, we can uh, take down your details and ensure that our customer yes, service... Yes, yes. My, case, my case number, I wish that you could write it down. All right. Okay, Vincent, we will get Vincent, it Vincent don't, don't worry. Lebo will, will, get, will get your details and we'll pass them on to, to the public protector's office. So it sounds to thank me... You, thank you very much. It thank sounds you. to me that the big issues of capacity and communication, um, just looking at some of the messages that are coming through on the WhatsApp line, uh, you have other listeners that are saying that uh, some of them were told that there aren't enough investigators to investigate their matters. So um, capacity issues, but also communication uh, with those that, that are opening cases with, with, with the public protector's office. In fact, I want to take a couple of WhatsApp voice notes. I'm also mindful of the time uh, because we have to wrap up this conversation uh, soon. But let's take the, the voice notes that we have. Uh, morning, Katie and the listeners. Uh, can you ask your guest if you are not satisfied with uh, the director of public prosecution's opinion, where do you go to? Uh, who, is, who is the next person where you can complain to? Brian Forrest. All right, Niels? Yes, uh, well, I guess he is referring to the decision of the public protector. As I said, um, we have an internal review process which is provided for by our rules and we're also developing a, a review policy and uh, a form that um, people who are dissatisfied with decisions can um, take them. It, it's not just because a person disagrees, we have certain grounds on which we want to direct and say this is what, otherwise we might end up spending resources and uh, continually on the same matter if a person is not happy with the outcome. So it's more about our processes. But I also wanted to explain something that might give some background to some of the service delivery issues that we might have um, experience apart from capacity, and that is our systems. We've been operating for a very long time on a manual system, which is dependent on file inspections and and so on. But um, since August this year, we've now developed a, a case management system, electronic case management system, which will hopefully try and alleviate some of these problems that, that people might have experienced because we are trying to automate some of the responses and then also in just managing and ensuring that we don't let the ball drop somewhere along the line 
that we can fulfill our service standards. Uh, hopefully, this is one of the tools that will assist us. Lawson, hearing what our listeners have had to say, and because the public protector operates in different provinces, do you think there are ways that um, that could be better streamlined? Because it can't be that things get resolved when they're brought to Pretoria, whereas the local office should be just as committed to attending to, to the matters raised by uh, by residents where they where they live. Uh, indeed, and you know that's the very premise of the office of the public protector is that it needs to be accessible so that ordinary people uh, can seek redress there, and that's why there are provincial offices of the public protector, and uh, there needs to be an effective outreach program as well as you know which you've identified, Kathy. You know better communication from the office of the public protector when when dealing with complaints to ensure that people you know they need to assist people to to lodge the complaints properly uh, to make sure that there's adequate follow up and that uh, the decision whatever it is uh, is properly communicated so people uh, uh, understand that the matter has been investigated and a conclusion reached so you know i think these are some of the the areas where you know on the basis of what we're hearing from listeners now are some of the concerns about the uh, efficiency of the uh, public protector office which needs to be addressed all right uh, unfortunately we were completely out of time for this conversation and it felt like we were just you know starting to get into uh, the nub of of the issue but unfortunately we're going to have to leave it there uh, Lawson Naidu founding member of CASEC Niels van der Merwe, head of legal services at the public protector so hopefully we all understand what goes on in the organization behind the scenes. I know that there are other questions that our listeners uh, also would have wanted us and wanted us to deal with, but uh, unfortunately we won't have a chance to get to those today. For now it's 11 o'clock and time for your latest news update.